Welcome back, boys and girls, to episode three of The Michigan Realist, a podcast for fans, from a fan, about the University of Michigan athletics with a, hopefully a little bit of a realistic twist on things. My name is Tim Zeltwanger, and this podcast can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, Stitcher, and hopefully any day now, Apple Podcasts. Also visit my website, themichiganrealist.weebly.com for any updates or information. Welcome back. This is episode three of The Michigan Realist. If you were able to listen to episode one and two, thank you. If not, I would suggest go check them out. Uh, episode one was just kind of my foray into podcasting, a little bit of uh just kind of sampling things and seeing what it was like. And then episode two, we got a little more uh, targeted, and we looked at uh, Michigan September opponents, as well as games that matter as of right now across the landscape of college football in the month of September. On today's show, we're going to look at October. It is the lightest month of the season for Michigan. However, maybe the most difficult. And we'll get into that as we go through. I've also got my uh, content of the week uh, my take of the show, and then um, a little breakdown of games that matter as of right now across college football for the month of October. This is being recorded on August 1st, where camp is getting ready to open up. I say that because a lot of what, I, a lot of what I'm going to say today um, and in past shows is really, it's all, you know, it's predictions, it's, you know, feelings, it's gut feelings, it's we have no idea what's going to happen once the ball's kicked off, once the season gets rolling, uh, but it's fun to talk about and it certainly has been fun for me and I look forward to it and I'm enjoying this, so I'm going to keep, keep rolling with it. Uh, to start off today, I want to do uh, my content of the week from elsewhere. I'd like to, every show, start it off with just kind of looking at content that I found intriguing from somewhere around the country. Could be, um, you know, from a player, could be from an analyst, could be from anybody that I just seem to find intriguing. Maybe it's uh, something that catches on and, um, you know, just something I found interesting. And this week, it's a very recent thing for me. It's, uh, this whole thing kind of blew up a couple days ago, and I'm uh, sort of uh, shocked about how much this has taken off. But uh, my content of the week from elsewhere, we kind of have to go down this road because there's a lot of content, and it's all kind of strung together. Uh, but it all started with um, former quarterback Wilton Spate. Uh, who has transferred to UCLA. Um, I cannot blame him. Uh, he, you know, despite all his success that he had in 2016, um, you know, with the exception of, you know, some mistakes in the Ohio State game and the Iowa game and things like that, um, he had a pretty good year. Um, and then 2017 got off to a rocky start, and, of course, he uh, injured his back. We sent him to the hospital. Um, and he just kind of was taking flack from the fan base and from everyone, and you, you, part of you sort of fell for the guy. I mean, he is a college student. Reminder, he is a college student. Anyway, he's transferred to UCLA. I'm going to play for Chip Kelly. That'll be interesting to see how that works. But uh, I cannot blame him. He, uh, You know, that's a spot. Uh, UCLA is going to need a quarterback with experience. Um, and whether or not it fits Chip Kelly's 
system or style, I don't necessarily think that's going to matter this year. Um, I think Chip is just kind of using this year to get his feet settled, and it's it's good to have a you know a quarterback in there with some some presence. Anyway, he's at UCLA, and it comes out from I I you have to excuse me I do not know. Um, who did the report or who talked to him, who the reporter was. But it came out in which um, Spate let the reporter know about a story with Harbaugh and how (laughs) Harbaugh told him not to eat chicken because it was a, quote, nervous bird. Was all in good fun. I'm sure Wilton was just reminiscing about, you know, you play for Coach Jim Harbaugh, you're probably going to have some stories. And I imagine that was probably a story that uh, kind of, you know, was was a funny story to him. And it, you know, it kind of lived on in his mind. And he was just reminiscing about a, a positive memory from the University of Michigan. Harbaugh told me, hey, you know, you don't eat chicken. It's a nervous bird. Well... Of course, then that went in all sorts of different directions. Um, I saw, um, let's see, College Football Live on ESPN. They ended their next show, the show the next day, with, of course, got to talk about Harbaugh. Anytime Harbaugh does anything or says anything, uh, you have to talk about it. And the irony of this is Harbaugh did not even say this at like a press conference. He did not say that. This is a story from Wilton Spate from the past, and it's still registers and the lights go off and all the networks and all the program they have to talk about it because it's Harbaugh. Well College Football Live, they ended their show. Some of the former players saying how ridiculous it was and how chicken's good for you and Mike Golick Jr.'s up there eating, you know, chicken, fried chicken and this and that. He's doing that. Um, another show I heard one of the people say that um, you know, I'm tired of these antics by Harbaugh. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. Which is just incredible because, again, Harbaugh did not do this. He did not come out and make a point to say to the entire world that chicken is a nervous bird, don't eat it. Only eat steak and pork. He was not doing that. This is a story told by Wilton Spade from, a, from you know, a while ago. Well, it just, you know, ah, it's weird Jim Harbaugh. Here we go again. So, anyway, uh, Spate says that. And, and some fans, I say some fans, not all fans. Um, I, I kind of want to say uh, a majority of fans, but we'll hold that to the next part. But some fans came out and they, and they kind of took offense to that. You know, where does Wilton Spate get off throwing Coach Harbaugh under the bus? Uh, Spate even had to come out and clarify that he was not throwing Harbaugh under the bus. It was a fond memory he was talking about. Uh, but anyway, fans have to take it as he's throwing uh, Harbaugh under the bus. So, uh, one random guy on Twitter, uh, I think I don't know if he directed it at uh, O'Corn or at Spate or whoever, or whether he was just tweeting it in general. He says, what's with all these uh, former players? You know, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not going to say exactly what he said. But basically, what are all these former, what's, what is it with all these former players turning their backs on the program? That's what he said. John O'Corn somehow saw this tweet and he responded to that with, it's not the program that we have a problem with. And then, of course, everybody takes that as yet. Here's another former quarterback taking a shot at Harbaugh. They just start 
piling on to O'Corn. They start replying at him with all the gifts from the Ohio State game and all the ridiculousness of his, uh, you know, his stats and how terrible he was and this and that to the point where he has to clarify, hey, by the way, my previous tweet has nothing to do with Coach Harbaugh. He's talking about the fans. They couldn't figure that out. Uh, And then, of course, they still continue to pile on him about this and pile on him about that. And, of course, he has to send another tweet, and he basically says, it looks like my mentions are proving my point for me. Because what he was talking about all along, he doesn't have a problem with Harbaugh. He doesn't have a problem with the program. He doesn't have a problem with the tradition. He has a problem with the idiot fan base. The Let me rephrase it. The idiot portion of the fan base. Okay? Because they're out there. Not the entire fan base. There are some very well-educated Michigan fans who have, you know, can have negative opinions of things in the program. That's fine. That's going to happen. Everything is not perfect. I get that. But there are some idiots out there who take everything way too far. And I will tell, I'll be the first to tell you that John O'Corn had some pretty terrible games at quarterback. Okay? I can, I can say that. I've looked at the QBR ratings. They are absolutely terrible okay we saw we all saw with our own eyes what happened uh with the exception of the purdue game things pretty much never got back on a you know a really really positive track um and i think we all understand that i don't think john o'corn wanted to do that guess what john o'corn was the person put in the game the coaching staff felt he had gave us the best opportunity in the situation we were in he did not live up to that he didn't, okay? But you know what? They kept throwing him in there, which means they didn't really have any other options that they felt were going to do any better. Now, eventually, Peters got in there, and, of course, he had a couple good games, and everybody says that, you know, things are going to be good with you know with him, and if, oh, if Peters would have been in there, we would have beat Ohio State. That may be true. We will never know that. But guess what? Yes, Brandon Peters came and gave us a shot of life and gave us some energy, and we played a little bit better. The numbers weren't that great. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, the South Carolina Bowl game, he was not that good, okay? He, he was borderline terrible. Um, he did not play very well, um, no matter what you say. Didn't play god-awful, but he was not the savior in that game, and sort of his some, some of his true colors kind of came out in that one, all right? Because he's a college young athlete. He's learning. He's... Um, he's honing his craft. He's getting better at what he's trying to do. Okay, he's going to class. He has this academic life. He's got to live up to, as well as all the stuff of playing quarterback at the University of Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. It's a tough job. Okay, and that's sort of where I'm leading all this to, folks. These kids, and I say kids because they're kids. These kids have it hard already. Okay. Now I'm not saying that to play have a pity party for them and say they're you know they don't have a lot of good advantages. They do. They have some great advantages uh, being where they are and playing for Michigan. They absolutely do. Whether it's in opportunities, um, experiences, um, clothing, swag, the stuff that they get. Oh my God, the the free Jordan shoes and the Jordan. I would love to do that or get that. However. They are basically providing a service 
for the university and they are performing or trying to perform for the university okay it's me who gets anxious on saturdays to watch them play a game okay they are doing something they are trying they are wanting to do their best okay it is already hard enough on them with everything that they've got to do and all the practices and all the lifting and all the playbook study and all the film study um, and all the academic and all the you go into class tests this and that it's already a difficult task for them let's not make it more difficult by piling on them on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the other social media stuff. Let's not do it. They're going to be on there, most of them. Okay, again, they're kids. They're, you know, just out of high school. They're in college. They're, you know, uh, young. They got testosterone. They are, you know, they've got things. They, If you've gone to college, think back to what it was like in college. It was a fun time, a fun experience. Okay, I could do things and... Uh, uh, have you know decent times in college and I didn't have to worry about you know reporting you know for an AM workout and watching film and being at practice and going to get I didn't have to worry about that these kids do all right they want to be college kids but they also know that they have a responsibility as a football player we don't need to pile on them even more so this thing that started with Spate telling a story, which then led to a fan making a comment, and then John O'Corn replying to that, and then that's just sort of blown up. And, you know, give it to John O'Corn. He hasn't said much since, um, thankfully. He doesn't need to. Um, again, his point was proved for him. Um, he knows he didn't play well, okay? He knows that. He knows that he had some terrible, terrible moments in the Ohio State game and other points last season. You don't need to remind him of that. He is well aware of that. And as much as after the Ohio State game, I said, you know what, if we just had a you know, decent quarterback play, we would have won that game. As much as I believe that and think that, I know in my heart of hearts that John O'Corn wanted to perform his best that game. I know that was, was, was on his forefront. He could have very easily, after that game was over, said, you know what, I don't want to talk to media, I don't want to talk to anybody, I just want to change and go home. But you know what he did? He didn't do that. He went right out there in front of the cameras, in front of the reporters, and bared his soul out there and broke down about how he did not play well in that game. Okay? That, seeing that, mattered to me. Okay? Seeing him with that sort of passion and that sort of regret to, to that, I know the kid cares, and I felt for the kid at the time. Okay? Because let's face it, it was just a football game. Not a big deal, okay? In the real scope of things, it is not a big deal about this football game, all right? In the realm of sports and in the realm of college football, it is a huge deal. But in real life, okay, John O'Corner is going to go on to other things in his life outside of football, all right? He's going to be a person. He's going to be a man. He's going to, you know, it's, things are going to be there for him that are not football-related, I know he cared to do as best he could while he was here. He didn't live up to it. Okay, he didn't do as well as as what could have been. Um, everyone knows that. He knows that. We all understand that. We don't need to pile on him. Okay, we don't need to do that. It's beating a dead horse. So let's just go ahead and stop there. Okay. So 
That was my content of the week from elsewhere. Again, something in the last couple days here just blew up into just a ridiculous Twitter war and, you know, fans. It's Again, again, it's the reason why I want to do this podcast and call it The Realist. uh, Because some fans need to get real, all right? Because real stuff does happen and they need to sort of alter their way of thinking because it's 2018 things have changed things are different um narrow it into college football and michigan football things are still different okay this is a different program um with you have to alter expectations right now and you know i don't know content of the week from elsewhere uh was that whole mess from spate to corn to the fans and all that all right when we come back we are going to talk about the september all right welcome back sorry about the end of that first segment what i was going to say is that we are going to look at october opponents for the university of michigan this coming season as i mentioned in the very opening of the show october is a tricky month because it is the lightest month meaning we have the fewest games we only play three of them um but they are packed with some meaning and there's a lot going on in each game uh, we've got uh, Maryland coming to Ann Arbor. We've got Wisconsin coming to Ann Arbor. And then we go for a return trip to East Lansing and take on Michigan State. Uh, we're going to start with Maryland. This game is uh, taking place October 6th. This is our homecoming. Um, kickoff has already been set. It is a noon kickoff. Um, the Maryland Terrapins come to town. And when you think of Maryland football, one word pops into mind. Uh, and that word is health. Um, you really sort of feel for, for Maryland football because they have caught some of the worst breaks, um, literally and figuratively, uh, with their injury bug that they just can't seem to shake. Um, there's a lot going on there, and a lot of their progress, I think, has been hindered by the health issue. Um, they can't stay healthy. Um, so that's first and foremost whenever you talk about Maryland. And again, this is August 1st. I'm recording this, and we play on October 6th. Who knows what's going to be happening at that moment and what the roster is going to look like for both teams, but Maryland in particular, because um, four of the last six years, Maryland has started three or more quarterbacks. I repeat, Four of the last six years, Maryland has started three or more quarterbacks. Just think back to Michigan's season last year and just pretend that we have to do that uh, for the last six years. Now, some of you would say that maybe that could have helped us out, but not really. Uh, You need some stability to get anything rolling. Um, When we had, uh, in in the Harbaugh era, that is anyway, um, you know, when we had um, Rudock come in, we had him most of the year, had him the, the whole year. That was good to have that stability. 2016 with Spate, the whole year basically. Um, stability at the quarterback position is good. Maryland hasn't had that luxury. They've had some issues, um, which kind of, you know, for them is not, not a great thing because 
they've got a lot of talent. You know, I look at the roster and and they've got some things. Um, they've got some things going for them. Uh, starting at quarterback, uh, Kasim Hill. Uh, he seems to me to be the leader and the best for the job. Um, I mean, that kid, you know, we've seen a small sample of what he can do um, with the Texas game uh, last year. You know, he came in and in the fourth quarter against Texas had a heck of a game, you know, heck of a game winning that. Um, and then I want to say he got injured uh, in the next week. Um, don't quote me on that, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't far after that. So he didn't really get, um, a whole lot of time to log last year. Um, but the time he was in there, I mean, he had some, uh, some flashes of brilliance, uh, a couple touchdown drives against Texas. Um, you know, he looked pretty good. Um, and then pig Rome behind him, you know, piggy, he's not bad either. You know, the two of them could, uh, could, you know, in you know replace one put the other one in you know plug and play whatever um both of them are solid you know they're young they're um um they are inexperienced but you know they they've got some they got some things there that they could you know they could put together if they stay healthy gotta stay healthy okay but if they do that could be a very very positive thing because kind of under the radar uh, because Maryland is not one of the quote you know big four in the East, uh, Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan or Michigan State, because they're not one of those big four, and it always seems like it's just a four-team race to win the division. Because Maryland's not in that, I think one of the I, I don't want I'm not going to say best yet, uh, but one of the biggest hires in the off season was Matt Canada coming to Maryland to be the offensive coordinator. That's a big name. Um, you know, he, he's coming in from LSU. Uh, I, I feel as though... Now, look, uh, let me also preface this. I've heard some things about Matt Canada and the way he gets along with others, and that's why he has, you know, a lot of jobs here recently. I hear, he, you know, he, he can be a little rough. Um, I also think that there might be a little bit of, uh, you know, people might be inflating that a little bit, um, whatever it may be for, you know, jealousy, things like that. Uh, the dude knows offense. He can put together a decent offense. Um, he was kind of the scapegoat uh, at LSU last year, in my opinion. I sort of felt like, you know, LSU didn't have, you know, quote, LSU success. And I think Canada sort of took the brunt of that. Um you know, the quarterback play wasn't as great, and, you know, he got blamed for that, and I just think it was easy uh, to sort of force him out um, and get rid of him at LSU, but if you look at the, this is what I did, I looked at LSU last year and what they had going for them, and I'm going to tell you this, LSU's season last year was almost a tale of two seasons, and what I mean by that is, you know, when you think of LSU here recently, you think of a pounding running running back. You know, you had Leonard Fournette back there. You had Darius Geis back there. Well, last year, if you remember, Geis had some issues at the beginning of the year. Um, he was injured a lot. He did not play that much. Once you got towards the back half of the schedule, he played a lot more. Well, guess what LSU's offense did? They played better. Um, they were able to do things better. Throwing the ball and running the ball, things went better. Um, so Matt Canada knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. Um, 
What kind of worries me about you know Matt Canada there is it is such a big name, and you sort of wonder with his bouncing around, you sort of wonder if you know he's going to be here this year for Maryland. You wonder if he has a great year this year if other teams don't come calling, and then he just jumps ship and Maryland has to start all over again. Look out for that. Not sure. Now, the positive about that is if that happens, that means Maryland has a good year this year. And I think that is very possible um, offensively. Maryland is going to be, again, with the health issue. If they stay healthy, Maryland has got some good things rolling for them. Um, Like I've already mentioned, Kasim Hill and Piggy, they're good quarterbacks. You know, they're solid quarterbacks. They can do what needs to be done. You know, I sort of wish this is the time where I really hate that, uh, not him, but the decision of Dwayne Haskins to decommit from Maryland and go to, you know, that school. Um, Because if Haskins was here, especially if Haskins does what he did when he came in against Michigan last year. I mean, the kid looks solid. Um, he he's, seems like a good little quarterback, and I think he's got a little more size compared to Hill and Pigram, um, so that might be something different. But either way, Maryland has something solid going forward at quarterback. It's great. They have something solid going at running back. Um, Ty Johnson, for crying out loud, he's – Probably their best player on offense, um, and I would probably say it's a bold, you know, really going out on a limb here, but um, he's going to have his best, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to have his best season of his career. That's going to happen this year. Um, I see it. He is a senior. Um, he's been there a while. You know, he's he's had a lot of success. You know, he's he's you know, been a high profile player. Um, he does a lot. He's, he's got some good things going for him. Um, but I think this year is going to be his best season and it all leads up to why I feel that I think Ty Johnson is going to have his best season. Um, and he's going to be Maryland's best player because I think Maryland has the second best. And I mean, by far, I'm not, this isn't like a close race. I think Maryland has the second best offensive line in the in the in Big Ten, um, like by far. I think uh, offensive lines uh, in the Big Ten are you can kind of break them down into into tiers. Wisconsin, there we'll get to them next. Wisconsin is on their own level. Um, the offensive, I mean, they, you rename Wisconsin offensive line university uh, because that's what they put out. Um, they by far have the best offensive line in the conference. That's the top tier. I think Maryland is in the second tier by themselves. Um, I would put it this way. If we could somehow take Maryland's offensive line and put it with us this year, I would take that. I would trade in our five, whoever we have starting, for their five that they are going to have starting. Um, they're that good. Um, Terrence Davis is on there. He was a former uh, recruit. We were pushing for him hard. Um, he obviously committed to Maryland over over Michigan. Um, he's good. Um, again, they, they got. I think last year, if you look at last year, they were the one part of uh, the offense that did seem to um, be healthy. If you take the five of them that are probably going to start this year, they had 59 starts last year. Damian Prince. Uh, the right tackle. He was the only one that missed a start. Um, so 59 returning starts. That's every single game, every single snap, except for one. Damian Prince not starting. So they've got experience. 
They've got the size. They're, they're, they're good. Okay, they have the second best offensive line. They're in their own tier. And then the third tier is the is the usual, you know, Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan and Michigan State and all them. And then the fourth tier would be everyone else. Um, but they're that good. Okay, that if they stay healthy, that is going to be a good thing for them. And they are going to have success because that unit is pretty, pretty good. All right. Uh, Receiving-wise, uh, they lose the big name, DJ Moore. He's gone. 80 catches last year. I mean, if, if Maryland was throwing, chances are it was going to DJ Moore. Um, he's out. All right. They still have experience coming back. Um, Tavion Jacobs probably be their best receiver, um, You know, assuming he's still there. Uh, Davenport. I forget his first name. It's escaping me. But uh, Davenport probably going to have some uh, a, a lot more catches than he did last year. Um so the two of them, they're great. They've got good experience. I think they're going to be fine. Um, again, they don't have the the star performer in DJ Moore. However, they got a lot of solid receivers there that are going to be good, and it's going to keep the offense rolling. Okay, um, this is not going to be an easy game. All right, I, I want to also say that this will not be an easy game for Michigan to win. All right, this is not going to be uh, the last time they came to Ann Arbor and it was fifty-nine to three or whatever. That's not happening this year. Okay, um, that is things are going to change there. All right, I'm not saying we're going to lose to them, but it's not going to be easy. All right, again, assuming the injury bug does not bite Maryland like it usually does. Um, defensively for Maryland, um, if you just kind of look at them, you know, just a blanket looking at the the roster and, and the two deep. And you look at that and you see, oh my God, they don't have that many returning starters. Um, maybe five, maybe six uh, returning starters. Um, I think that's a bit misleading. Um, because to me, the story of Maryland's defense this year is the transfers they have coming in. Um, yes, there's only five returning starters. However... Uh, Byron Coward, who was a well, highly touted, highly sought after a defensive end, he is now going to play for Maryland. Um, he's, he's transferring in from, he was at Auburn, and then I think he was at a JUCO school. Um, Trey Watson. A lot of people don't know Trey Watson. Um, if people, a Big Ten football fan should know the name Trey Watson. He was a former linebacker at Illinois. Solid player. He is transferring in at linebacker. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And then Marcus Lewis uh, in the secondary. Um, he's transferring in from Florida State. He's got some experience. Okay, the, that's those are big-name people. All right, Trey Watson's proven. He's put up the stats. Okay, he's coming in. Um, Cowart and Lewis coming from, you know, Auburn and Florida State, respectively. Those are big-name schools. Okay, they don't recruit and they don't accept you know, untalented people at those schools. So they're going to have some talent. They're going to be doing okay. Another thing to also keep in mind, and there is no way I'm going to get this right. I think it's Annie Bonham, Jesse Annie Bonham. Okay. Um, he was supposed to have a really good year last year. He's a very talented uh, dude. Um, the year before, I think he almost had double digit sacks. Um, He's back, okay? In the Texas game last year, he got hurt, all right, and was out for the season. Uh, he's back, all right? He's a heck of a pass rusher, all 
All right. Um, so they've got some talented pieces. They've got some players. Um, they're going to do some things this year. All right. This is not a pushover team. All right. This is a very, very solid team in a very, very talented and um, good division. So, the, you know, this blowing, you know, mind-blowing stats may not be there, and the, you know, eight, nine, ten victories may not be there. But I'm gonna tell you what, this team is gonna do some things this year, and they're not gonna be an easy team to beat as long as they stay healthy. All right. So defensively, it doesn't look like they have a lot coming back, but they have a lot of key players coming in and coming back. Those three transfers I mentioned, Annie Bonham coming in, it's going to be a pretty, pretty solid defense. Okay, And DJ Durkin, I mean, come on. He got that Maryland job for his year at, uh, at Michigan with the defense there. So he knows defense. All right. He, he's going to be able to mold whoever he's got into what he wants. And now he's got some really talented people. And if they stay healthy, things are going to be pretty solid in College Park. Okay. Um, sort of five things to, uh, you know, think about, take away, you know, just some random, some thoughts I was having. Um, I'll do this for each of the opponents, but with the last one being sort of a quasi prediction, um, First thing is that I believe, I firmly believe, that Maryland will beat one of the top four from the East this year. They are going to upset. You know, I, I doubt they're going to be favored in any of those games, so it will technically be an upset. But I think out of us, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State, I believe Maryland is going to beat at least one of them this year. Um, if I had to make... A, this is my number one pick, my number one prediction of which team I think that's going to be. I think they're going to knock off Michigan State on November third. That would be my my first selection with with the team I believe they're going to they're going to beat. Just everything sets up uh, for that. You know, it's it's at Maryland. Um, Michigan State has Ohio State the next week, so it's one of those classic trap games, look ahead games. And if Maryland is healthy in November. That's definitely, that's ripe for an upset. I think it's definitely going to happen, okay, um, for sure. That's my first thing. Um, I'm a big fan. The second thing to take away, you know, also has to sort of do with the schedule. I'm a huge fan of Ohio State having to come to Maryland the week before the game. Um, I think, like I said, this is not an easy team to beat um, as long as they stay healthy. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that, but with Maryland, you have to say that. But I love the fact that Maryland has to, or excuse me, Ohio State has to play at Maryland the week before the game. Um, I think that's going to uh, do some things. Again, maybe Ohio State looks ahead. Uh, maybe they don't come in fully prepared. You know, um, I got a feeling, you know, especially, especially if Maryland has things rolling and maybe they did knock off Michigan State. Maybe they are sitting with, uh, you know, only a couple losses. You know, that's a final push. You know, they're gaining that energy. They're getting that momentum. They're cranking things up. You know, they're going to they're gonna bring out, you know, they're going to make that their marquee game um, uh, next year. Or this year, excuse me. Uh, just a lot could lead into it. And I think Ohio State's going to struggle. I think it's going to knock them off their, uh, uh, you know, their pedestal a little bit. And that'll be good, you know, coming into when they got to play. Uh, the game uh, the next week. So, big fan of that. That's my second takeaway that I just happened to notice. Um, 
And number three, I'll say it again, and maybe this will be the last time I say it, as always, health is the concern. Um, Maryland is, is the hardest team to get a true read off of because of their health issues. The injuries are just too much, too much piling on. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to get into uh, the Jordan McNair thing, um, you know, tragically him passing away during the workouts. That is not, I don't think that's related to this. Um, I didn't mention it with the offensive line talk. I think he was going to be, I don't think he was going to start, but I, I'm pretty sure he would have been a backup um, at guard or tackle where it was. Um, that was a sad thing to hear and see, but I don't think the injury concern has to is connected with that. That's something something totally separate. Um, it just you know just teams seem to have this bad luck thing uh, when the games start, and um, you know injured players compared to player deaths, uh, you know don't really to me don't go together. Um, so I don't think there's a relation there. But that's my third point. This is just health. Um, and I'm referring to during the season, just avoiding injuries. Um, because, again, it's hard to hard to get a read off of how good Maryland can be. Uh, fourth thing, um, if again, if healthy, their offense scares me. I've talked about it before. Um, uh, and their offense scares me if... The Matt Canada experience works, our experiment looks and works like I think it's going to. Um, you know, with the pieces in place, and again, yes, DJ Moore's gone, that's, you know, superstar wide receiver, but they've got solid players there, great offensive line, um, good dynamic quarterbacks, Ty Johnson is running back, you know, they've got pieces there, and if he gets things rolling, man, they're, they're gonna be good, they're gonna be decent, okay, um, it worries me because last year Maryland put up the third most yards on Michigan all season. Um, they they put up the third most yards. Now on the surface that might be okay. Well, big deal was that Maryland. You know, um, you know Michigan was playing on the road. A couple players were banged up here and there. Um, okay, Maryland put up the th- you know third most yards. They have a great running game. Things are great. Ryan Brand was the starting quarterback, okay? Uh, and they were still able to put that many yards up on there, the third most all season that Michigan had put up against them. Ryan Brand did that, okay? If Ryan Brand can put up yards against Michigan, I'm going to guess that Pig Rome or Kasim Hill is going to be able to do just as much with a new offensive coordinator who knows his stuff and is probably looking to have as much success as possible, probably to springboard into that next job but we still have to play them um luckily it's at home uh that may help um but oh it's at noon um i know harbaugh loves noon games i i'm not sure about them um I mean, it, it means they play sooner in the day, so it you know the the anxiousness leaves sooner in the day. However, you get those noon kickoffs, and sometimes it's a sleepy little game, and you know you get to the third, fourth quarter, and all of a sudden the team that shouldn't be in it is in it. Um, and one of those things might happen this year. Um, and that leads into my fifth point about Maryland: uh, we have got to be on upset alert. All right. Um, this is not going to be an easy game, assuming Maryland is healthy, okay, and assuming the Matt Canada experiment works, all right? Uh, this is not going to be easy. 
Um, but again, and I've mentioned it before, uh, with the September opponents, um, Michigan will have had five games under their belt. And with everything I'm hearing and seeing and just the different feeling I've got leading into this year about Michigan, I think that offense is going to get things turned around and is going to be clicking enough um, to win this game close. Um, uh, Maryland, by the way, is, is going to have a bye the week before this Michigan game. So that's another reason um, I, that I didn't mention earlier. Uh, Maryland has a bye the week before. So they're going to be a couple extra weeks of preparation. You know, Durkin, I mentioned it before, Durkin coming back into Ann Arbor. You know, this is uh, his second time doing so. Um, you know, he remembers what happened the first time, the 59-3 debacle. Um, I don't know. Uh, this game worries me. Um, at the surface... This is a game that I think all the pundits and analysts, they just kind of skim over when they look at Michigan's schedule. They just kind of skim right over. Oh, the game's at home. Oh, it's Maryland. We're going to just beat up. They're going to beat up on them, and it's going to be fine. I don't think so. I don't see that coming. I think we're going to win, um, but I think it's going to be close, uh, and I think we need to have our wits about us, be on upset alert, because they could do some damage if we're not careful. All right? So, Maryland, uh, solid team. I hope uh, a lot of success for them this year. Hopefully they will uh, be able to get things clicking and rolling. All right, the very next week, uh, which again could lead to bad things against Maryland, we have a look-ahead game the next week. We play the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, the Badgers come to town. Um, thankfully, it's in Ann Arbor, not Camp Randall. Um but Wisconsin, the leaders of the West, more than likely, um, the annual <laughs> champions of the West, uh, to take a uh, to steal something from our song. But anyway, uh, the way the divisions are broken down with the West is Wisconsin's for has been. Um, you know, I think Iowa snuck in there once, um, but it's been Wisconsin, 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 Wisconsin. Every single time. Hopefully that changes. Hopefully the West gets uh, their act together and is, becomes a little more competitive. Uh, so, Wisconsin. When you think of Wisconsin, first thing that comes to mind is the offensive line. Uh, I think to be an offensive lineman at Wisconsin, you have to be 6'6", 320 pounds. I just, it's like a prerequisite. Um, and that's why they're so good. Uh, it's harder to move a larger individual and Wisconsin has larger individuals and the other thing Wisconsin has with this offensive line is 150 starts that's how much experience they have on the offensive line 150 starts that's a lot okay and they're good already so you know experience doesn't help them you know help us at all uh, quarterback at Wisconsin is never the star. You know, it's Alex Hornibrook there. Um, they don't ever ask them to be the star. Maybe Russell Wilson that one year when he came in, he was kind of the star of the uh, the offense in a little bit, you know, sort of. Um, but they don't want them to be the star. They just basically say, hey, manage the game. Um, don't lose it. Um, Hornibrook, the lefty, he's in there. He'll be the starter this year. Um, he had some turnover issues last year, so he's – his management of the game had some times when he struggled a little bit. Um, so that makes me a little nervous. 
you know, as a Wisconsin fan, or if I were a Wisconsin fan. Um, running back wise, you just kind of feel like it's plug and play, like whoever the next person is. Um, you know, Jonathan Taylor, who was an All American last year, I think second team All American. Um, he obviously seems really good. But if you think back and you look at the beginning of last year, um, now he was a freshman, so this is probably part of the reason, but Jonathan Taylor wasn't even supposed to be the starter. Um, uh, Bradrick Shaw was supposed to be the starter, and he got hurt in the opening game. Um, and Taylor came in there, and I think his first play he busted off like a 30 or 40, maybe even 50-yard run. Um, but he wasn't supposed to be the starter there. Um so that's what they do, Wisconsin. They just you know plug and play the next running back. Um, you know, there's been a lot of them. Uh, Melvin Gordon, Monty Ball. You know, all those sort of names come to mind. Um, so whoever they've got back there, whether it's Taylor, whether it's Shaw, whoever, if they're going to be solid again because of that offensive line. Um, wide receiver, there's enough talent. Um, the, the kid uh, Cephas, I think he's going to their leading returning uh, receiver. Um, uh, he's probably their their best one, I would say. Um, but they do have a lot. They seem like they have a lot of solid receivers coming back, um, and they should be fairly talented in that area. Um, again, it's not necessarily something that they uh, really you know, you know focus in on at Wisconsin. Um, they were the top three uh, in the Big Ten in every offensive category. Gory Laster, except for passing, um, that's that's our weakness. But when you have an offensive line like you do, and you've got running backs you can just plug in, um, you're probably going to run the ball more. Uh, and they did, and they were, you know, a decent machine doing that. So if they get their uh, passing game together, things could definitely, definitely help them uh, tremendously. I mentioned it before; turnovers were an issue. Uh, Hornibrook, I think, threw 15 picks last year. Um, so, you know, if he gets that straightened away uh, or straightened out, he should be better. He's only a junior this year, so, you know, those numbers, you know, not trying to, you know, rail on the kid, but he was young. He was only a sophomore last year. Um, so we'll see if he gets that straightened out and uh, pointed in the right direction. Um, if you're looking at their team as a whole, you got to say that the defense is their, you know, um, quote weakness uh, it's not weak and it's not bad but if you look at compared to everything else offense special teams defense I think defense is their weakness um, and I think that plays good for Michigan because I think offensively especially by October 13th you'd hope to think that we have things clicking and we have you know we have a good thing rolling with you know our offense uh, so that's just sort of my opening statements about Wisconsin. Let's get to the five things about Wisconsin. First thing is, look, Wisconsin is good and all, but I don't believe they would be as consistently good if they were in the East, okay? Um, now, that that's not exactly, again, going on a limb, but I, you really do have to think about it. I mean, when you get to play all those teams from the West year in and year out, it does sort of help the wins pile up, um, especially when you're so much more talented than the Illinois and the Purdue's and the Minnesotas and things like that. I, I get that, you know. But in the East, I, they would struggle um, because if you go to the last two years, um, Wisconsin's lost four games. Okay, um, all four losses were to teams out of the Big Ten East. All right. Um, 
lost to Penn State, they lost to Ohio State a couple times, and Michigan beat them. Um, so the the East kind of is good. <laughs> you know, uh, not exactly a bold statement, but uh, I think with uh, maybe some division realignment, they may not be as successful as they are. Look, they're great. They're talented. They're they're a good team. Um, you know, they, they went and won their bowl game last year, beat up on Miami, um, and they had lots of success in different areas. And I'm not saying that they, they can't do big things, but I think if they were in the East and had to consistently play the teams from the East, I think things would be a little bit harder. Um, uh, so, uh, and also with that comment about their four losses, um, not only that, but um, they've in the last two years they've lost more games to the Eastern teams than they've beaten. Okay, um, they were able to beat Maryland, uh, Michigan State, and Michigan. Um, that's only three wins. They lost four times the last year, last two years to to teams from the East. So, um, just something to think about, you know. Uh, so we don't need to go in and, and be have this huge fear of the Wisconsin machine um, coming to town. Uh, they are good, but again, change divisions up, they might be a little bit less good. Um, running the ball, second thing, running the ball. You think of Wisconsin, you run the ball, okay? Um, if you stop that you have a chance to beat them, okay? That's, again, just firing off bold uh, limb, you know, branch statements here. But it's true. Uh, they run the ball a lot. They had 12 games with 39 or more carries uh, last year, all right? You stop that, uh, they can be beat. Uh, their only loss last year was that 13th game where they didn't have 39 or more carries. They only had 32 carries, and they only got 60 yards, okay? Uh, it was the Ohio State game. Uh, 32 carries for 60 yards, um, and that was still a one-possession game. Um, so, you know, take with that uh, whatever you'd like. But stop the run, and you can beat Wisconsin, okay? Um, third thing to take about there... <sighs> You know, with all the success in the West, and again, this relates to how you perform against the East, they're kind of underwhelming in the Big Ten title game. Okay? Um, last four trips, they're 0-4. All right? So, again, when they get they get there, but then when they have to win against someone, they, they can't seem to do it. Um, so, you know, take with that what you want to do. Um, put it this way. Uh, Rutgers, Indiana, and Maryland. If you if you were to ask, okay, what are the three weakest teams in the Big Ten East? People are going to say the same three teams. They're going to say Rutgers, they're going to say Indiana, and they're going to say Maryland. Okay, well, guess what? Those three teams, they won seven Big Ten games last year combined. Okay, seven. All right, those three teams, seven wins in the Big Ten last year. Four of those seven wins were against teams from the West. Okay, so the weakest part of the East loves going to play some of the teams in the West because that's where they get their Big Ten wins. Um, four of those seven were against the West, um, and then the other thing, the other three. You know, I said they had seven games. Uh, the other three were to each other. Okay, so <laughs> and that's going to happen. You you have to win. Okay, Rutgers v Indiana, one of them's got to win. Rutgers v Maryland, one of them's got to win. Indiana v Maryland, one of them's got to win. There's your three other wins right there. Other than that, the other four Big Ten wins were against teams from the West. 
So, take with that what you want. I think it's easier to win in the West. It's easier to rebuild in the West. Everything is easier in the West. A team I would love to stick in the West would be Maryland. Okay, I would love to swap out Maryland for a Purdue or an Illinois or something like that. Um, just because... I, with all the success Maryland can have, I think it, it everything is compounded and things are much more difficult because of who else is in their division. Okay, the Big Four are not only um, you know good teams, but they have, they have names to them. Okay, they're big names and big names sell and big names um, can can keep things rolling a little easier and it becomes harder to. Um, maintain that. So I think if Maryland got out in the West, they would have a lot more success than they've had in the East. Take that with what you would. Now, maybe in five years, that's not the case. Um, Scott Frost coming in and rebuilding Nebraska. Okay. Iowa's always going to have a year or two here and there under Kirk Ferentz that they're going to, you know, dominate. Northwestern's consistently good. But again, that consistency, you're beating up on some weaker teams. Um, so anyway, it could change. You know, we'll see. Take that with what you will. Um, number four, uh, if they don't fix their turnover problems, they're going to lose a few, uh, especially with the schedule that they have. Um, again, turnovers were an issue, and I know they had a really, really successful year last year, and they did great. You know, thirteen and one—that's awesome. Um, if they don't fix that turnover problem, they're going to lose a, a few of them. Um, they play at Penn State. They play at Michigan. They play at Northwestern. They play at Iowa. Um, at Iowa is probably my um, least favorite place to ever play in the entire world um, because big teams just seem to go there and get their, you know, what's handed to them. Um, last time we were there, they, you know, handed us a loss that cost us a shot at the Big Ten. Um, last time Ohio State was there, they got, the you know, throttled. They just, there's something about Iowa, you know, going there. You a lot of rabid fans there know their football and they care about their Hawkeye football. And that's not an easy place to play. So Wisconsin has those four games on the road. Um, last year, their road games they had, they went to Indiana. Uh, they went to Illinois. Uh, they went to Nebraska, who was reeling at the time and in bad shape. And they went to Minnesota. Um, which is a rivalry game, but um, you compare this year's road schedule to last year's road schedule, it's apples to oranges. They're they're completely completely different. And if they don't fix the turnovers, you know that's going to be a problem. You can turn the ball over at Indiana and, and recover from that, and Illinois and recover from that. You can't turn the ball over in a whiteout at Penn State. Okay, if you do that, they're going to just, just snowball all over you. Um, and same thing at Michigan and at Iowa, like I mentioned. So. Fix that, and they will maybe have a chance to have the same record as last year. But if they don't, I think they're going to lose more than they did last year. Um, so, last point. If the Michigan offense improves like it should, I think Michigan wins this game. It's at home. Um, I say it again. If you did not listen to the first episode or the second episode, I didn't get into it as much in the second episode. But in the first one, I mentioned that... If the QBR, the quarterback rating of Michigan, is less than 40, we lose. If it's higher than 40, generally we win. 40 is not exactly a tremendous uh, QBR and quarterback rating. All right. 
And then look, there's no guarantee. I know Shea Patterson was a big five-star quarterback recruit. Um, I get that. I understand that. It's fine. Um, Five stars are awesome. But guess what? Five stars don't work out all the time. Okay? Kareem Walker, he was a five-star. Well, guess what? He's playing in community college ball next year. He didn't work out. Uh, Derek Green was another five-star running back. He didn't work out. He he went elsewhere. Um, So five stars don't exactly always mean success. So we cannot say that just because Shea Patterson is Shea Patterson, he's going to play better than we've had. I, I think the chances are very, very good that he does that. But it's not a guarantee. Nothing is guaranteed. So I don't know. I do think he's going to play better than a 40 quarterback rate. I think he does have that ability. And, you know, because again, that doesn't mean he has to be awesome. That means he just has to not suck. Um, And if he does that, I think he's going to be all right. Things are going to work out and we will be fine. Okay. And I think it'll be a big game. And I believe that we end up winning that game. Um, I, I was, it was another one last year that I actually felt like if we had, um, you know, <laughs> honestly, I think if Peters did not get sent home or sent to the hospital in that game, I, I think we had a very, very strong chance of upsetting Wisconsin in Camp Randall last year. Um, and that would have been a huge for a young team to go to Wisconsin and win that game. But you could really tell that when Peters got hurt, um, and the defense had to keep going on the field and keep going on the field and keep going on the field and try to hold this thing together. It just wore them out and wore them down, and eventually Wisconsin took over. Um, I think we we could have been a little bit better with Peters' um, uh, what he was doing when he was playing in that game. So, And by the way, I still stand on uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. That was a touchdown. He did get that foot down, even though it got reviewed and they overturned it. Pretty sure he got that foot down. Should have been a touchdown. Anyway, I'm not bitter. Moving on. Uh, Our final opponent in October are the Michigan State Spartans. Battle for old Paul. Paulie Bunyan. Um, One of the first things you think about uh, with this year's game in Michigan State, they will be coming off of a trip to Penn State. That's right. They're going to have to play in Happy Valley the week before they play us. I think that's good for us. I think that's a positive thing for us. Um, that is not an easy place to play. And I really think that um, we are going to be able to benefit from that. That is going to be a helpful thing. Okay? Uh, I believe that's good. So, that's the first thing that stood out to me. Um, the second thing is, I did not realize, you know, thinking about in the off season and things like that, I didn't realize that they had so many people returning. Um, they do have a lot of returning starters, um, which is only just speaking of experience. That doesn't mean that they're better. I still think that our roster is more talented, um, but they've had a lot of people that have played and have done it and have had success doing it. Um, Michigan State had a pretty good year last year. Um, you know, wasn't their uh, you know usual uh, staple the last year? A few years here of double-digit wins and things like that. Um, or no, I'm t- I take that back. With the bowl game, it was a ten-win season, so they did have uh, they did have double-digit wins. So there you go. Um, you know, had a god-awful year the year before that, but um, back to double digits last year. So they these players that are returning 
have done fairly decent, and they've won football games. Um, they certainly have beaten us plenty of times. Um, this, to me, when I think of the 2017 season, um, if I would have been doing a podcast last year, and, and it's easier for me, to, it's easy for me to say this. You know, being August first, two thousand eighteen, as opposed to two thousand seventeen, it's easy for me to say this now. But I, please believe me that I genuinely, you know, if I had to put my life on the line, I genuinely thought we were going to finish last year nine and four. I really did. You know, I thought we were going to the Penn State game to me before the season that seemed like a guaranteed loss, just because we were so young and I knew we were going to get rattled in that game. Um, so I, I penciled that in as a loss. Um, what else? I figured at Wisconsin was going to be a loss also because of that environment. Um, I thought, I'll be honest with you, I thought Florida was going to be better than they were. And I thought we were going to lose that game. Um, so that was the third loss. And then Ohio State, unfortunately. I thought uh, we were going to lose that game too. I thought we were going to finish the season, the regular season, 8-4. and four. Um, And then that would have put us in a bowl game against a less talented team that we would have won, would have been a good springboard, and we'd finish ultimately 9-4. and four. Uh, didn't happen last year um, uh, because we lost five games last year. Um, not only the bowl game, uh, but you know we won the Florida game. But Florida was <laughs> Florida was not Florida uh, or typical Florida. But there was that other game that we did lose uh, to the old Spartans. This that was the one loss that, looking back at the season, I just felt like was so so unacceptable. Um, that was awful. That was not a game that we should have lost. Michigan State, yes, they were 10-3 and last year, but Michigan State was not that good compared to our... Even as young as we were, we still had more talent, and we should have beat them. Okay? Now, the worst thing that happened uh, to us, I believe, was the weather. Okay? I think the weather was the issue. However... When the weather is going to be that god-awful, you have to adjust your game plan. And I'm not sure Michigan adjusted their game plan. Um, Because in a driving rainstorm where you're watching it on TV and there's plays where there are some players that it's hard to even see because it's raining so hard. In a driving rainstorm... We don't need to line up Johnny O'Corn in the shotgun and five wide receivers, okay? That's probably not going to get it done. That's probably difficult conditions to, th- to throw and, and, and handle. Um, and because of the suspect play calling, we ended up turning the ball over five times. Um, the only one that I remember, um, and I can't think of all of them specifically, but the only one I remember that was not really a coaching issue and it was ultimately maybe one of the most damaging turnovers was the, was the uh, Ty Isaac fumble. Um, I Because I do remember us going down, scoring on them, and, and you just felt like, oh, my God, this is going to be a great, uh, this is going to be a fun time. You know, we're just going to run off the score on these guys. Um, and then they couldn't do anything. We got the ball back, and we started driving again right down the field, just right over them. And then Isaac fumbled the ball, and Michigan State scored on the ensuing possession, and you just felt like the momentum stopped right there with that turnover. So that one hurt. Um, but then after that, some of the other turnovers were were all on the coaching staff. Okay, um, I you know 
having Tom Brady go out there and throw in what John O'Connor's having to throw in would not have been an easy task. And we kind of put the players in a bad position, and we paid for it with a loss. Um, again, to Michigan State. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the players in this game, uh, they don't seem to matter anymore. The coaches do. Uh, this is all a coach's game to me, and that's not good for us because it is clear that Mark, I am going to call him Mark, I'm not going to do the Mike thing, though I want to, Mark D'Antonio has a clear hatred for the University of Michigan, and he has used that to his advantage in his coaching style and uh, you know, transferring it over to the players. He cannot stand Michigan. He has a serious problem with Michigan. Um, so, Mark D'Antonio has a clear issue with the University of Michigan. So, got to keep that in mind. They definitely have um, upped the ante in the recent decade uh, in terms of beating Michigan. And it's proven. They've gotten results on the field. Hopefully, we can turn this around. Okay, five things to take away from this game. First thing is this is clearly their, or we are clearly their hated rival. Um, and it's not to say that we don't think of them as a rival because we do. And look, if you're living in the state of Michigan, it's probably different. But as an outsider looking in, I don't think that Michigan puts as much thought into this rivalry as Michigan State does. Uh, just because we have Ohio State as our, our main rival. And when people think of uh, who's Michigan's rival, they don't automatically say the school across the state, Michigan State. No, they go to Ohio State, and that's for a reason. Okay, They call it the game for a reason. So it's a little bit different. Um, we don't have the same level of thinking about the rivalry as they do. Uh, it's still very important. We still want to win that game. We play for the trophy, Paul Bunyan, everything. It's still a rivalry game. Do not get me wrong. I just think the level of hatred and rivalriness, if that's a word, is much stronger on their part. Okay, they, they especially here recently, they, we are number one on their hit list. Um, and I'm, And they're not number one on ours. So... Got to keep that in mind. Uh, second thing is I am very, very convinced that there is a little brother Mike Hart curse. Um, ever since that game in 2007, uh, it was a close one in East Lansing that we won, 28-24, and Mike Hart had those comments afterwards saying, you know, sometimes you just got to let your little brother think that they're in there and then you beat them at the end. Um Ever since that point, it's gone downhill. Okay, they are eight and two since that point. Um, clearly, was a comment that pissed off D'Antonio, um, and he's used it to his advantage. And they are playing very, very well against us um, since that point. So I am convinced that there is some sort of curse going on there. Um, Hopefully, I wish Mike Hart could come out and, you know, exercise the demons and reverse the curse, um, but I don't believe he can do that. So, we have to just kind of go with it. I do, however, believe and am convinced that LJ Scott may have reversed the curse without realizing it when he made his little sister comment. Um, basically, something to the effect of, of calling Michigan, Michigan State's little sister um, in... <laughs> in the rivalry. So, 
I'm pretty sure the defense is um, gonna gonna keep that in mind. Um, this is also L.J. Scott, who did not play in this game last year, um, but has no problem uh, living with the results of it, uh, and is gonna talk his way out of it. I'm pretty sure the defense is uh, gonna be a little pissed off about that comment. That's gonna probably be some bulletin board material. So. We'll see how that goes for him. Um, and hopefully in him making that comment, he just reversed the Mike Hart curse and in a sense put a curse on Michigan State. Oh, how I love superstition as a sports fan. All right. Uh, third thing to take away is that this series has had some phenomenal games. Um, whoever you're a fan of or just a fan of college football, there have been some tremendous games in this uh, series, um, especially here recently, since 97. You go back to 97, uh, that was Woodson's uh, one-handed sideline, got the foot down interception. That was pretty much his Heisman highlight of that year. Um, that was a big game. Um, 2001, uh, the old clock operator up there, Spartan Bob, uh, left that one extra second, uh, seemingly... Um, that shouldn't have been there. He left it on there and allowed Michigan State to have one more play in which uh, I believe it was Jeff Smoker hit TJ Duckett in the end zone um, for them to win 26-24. Um, you go to the 2004 game, the I call it the Braylon Edwards game, uh, three overtimes. I think Braylon scored just about every touchdown in that game. Um, that was great. Uh, let's see, 2005, another overtime game. We ended up winning. 2009, another overtime game. Tate Force almost pulled that off for us. Uh, we lost, though. Um, they made that a great game. Um, of course, of course, of course, you have to go to the 2015 game um, in Ann Arbor. Blake O'Neill dropped the punt. They return it. I still can see that on my television as clear as day. See the different uh, all-white Spartans and the convoy back down to the end zone and the drop and Blake O'Neill's spin trying to punt it it came off his foot and here what's his name uh uh, man, the ESPN commentator, his high-pitched, you know, call. And the Spartans are going to win the game! You know, that whole mess. And I still, my heart, it just makes my heart flutter. Um, and it still <laughs> irritates me that we lost that game in that fashion. Um, you know, <laughs> you talk about, you know, everybody slams Harbaugh. He's 1-5 in, in the rivalry. But, you know, he had that game as a loss to a rival, and then of course the the Ohio State game, uh, 2016, was basically uh, yeah, a yard away from having that. Um, not using those as excuses. I mean, a loss is a loss, and there's many other plays that could have been made and were not made. But you know, you just think about how we slam Harbaugh for that his record against rivals, but in reality, it's it's pretty close, um, and things are close. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, just fantastic games in this series. Just really, really good games, um, which can be nerve-wracking uh, heading into them. Uh, the fourth thing to take away. Oh, boy. Um, this is a rival. This is a rivalry. Uh, fans of opposing rivals talk trash to one another. They bring up things um, against the other. However, I would like to ask that Michigan fans refrain 
from bringing up the Larry Nasser situation and using that as trash talk against Michigan State. That whole situation is bigger than football. It is bigger than some rivalry. That's actual human lives that were affected by a terrible, terrible human being um, for uh, you know the, the sexual abuse on all those ladies. Um, just to vulnerable young women. And that's bigger than this rivalry. It doesn't need to be brought up. It doesn't need to be a talking point to slam Michigan State. Okay? Um, they obviously don't want that going on. Um, the whole issue and, and questionable uh, content you can get into is if people at the university knew about it. Um, and then you can slam the morals of uh, said university. And, and that's a different story. But, but actually... You know, attaching Larry Nasser to Michigan State and, and attaching him to other Spartan fans and Spartan alumni, that's not fair. And it shouldn't be done, and don't do it. So stop doing it. Um, you know, uh, again, people, regardless of where they are, you know, people that work at Michigan and, and work at Michigan State and Ohio State and Penn State, they unfortunately, they do things that are questionable. Okay, and all you can ask of a university is to deal with it appropriately once knowledge comes out about it. Um, if a university finds out about it and they hear the story and they look at all the, the facts and figures and they deem it to be an issue, then do something about it. Okay, don't cover it up. Um, and I'm not saying it's been done here, but that's a different story. You can question uh, a university's ability to cover up a situation, but don't bring the actual situation itself. Michigan State cannot control what Larry Nasser did, no more than Penn State could control uh, Jerry Sandusky. Um, they could fire him, and they could fire Paterno if he knew about it, and that's a different story. Um, but, you know let's face it some human beings out there are sick and they do sick things and that's we cannot control um, everything um, but once it's found out then it's a different question all right and I, I say that because our other rivals have another situation that appears to be brewing um, with this whole Zach Smith thing um, and I'm actually gonna throw this in I know it's my fourth point about Michigan State but this is my take of the week also is this whole thing about these real-life situations and bringing them into play when you talk about a football game or a basketball game. Let's refrain from that. Let's keep away from doing that. They're separate issues. Um, but I keep mentioning it, uh, the Larry Nasser thing, and, and a university knowing about something or a coach knowing about something being a different thing because uh, the Ohio State issue that's going on right now, if you're not familiar with it, Zach Smith, the receivers coach, um, there has had a whole line of uh, some domestic violence issues going back for a while. And apparently in 2015, he had done it. Um, Urban Meyer came out and steadfastly denied that he knew anything about it. Um, he fired him this offseason once it came out and denied knowing about it and said that if he would have known about it, he would have fired him then, and this and that. Um, well, it's come out, and uh, Brett McMurphy at ESPN has got something put together. Um, if true, 
would prove that Urban Meyer did know about it. So here he is, you know, you, you can't, we can't call Ohio State fans wife beaters because of Zach Smith. But what we can do is question Urban Meyer, question a university that knows about something and doesn't do anything about it. And if this stuff is true about Urban Meyer knowing about it, not only did he know about it and not do anything about it, but he has now uh, made it worse and lied to everyone, lied to reporters, lied to the public, lied. He's flat out lied about it, if this is all true. Okay, I, I, that's a very important distinction because it might not be true. You never know. But Brett McMurphy kind of is a you know well-known, respected reporter. And if he's going to put this out there, he, you know, chances are it's got some legs to it, and and this becomes a separate issue. Um, you know, uh, they fired Tressel <laughs> for covering up tattoos, and uh, uh, you know, tattoos compared to domestic. I think there's some different things going on here, so it's really going to be interesting to see where this thing goes. Um, again. You can question decision making and character about when we know about things, but but don't tie, you know, Michigan State is not a women's sexual you know abusing university. Just like Penn State is not a child abusing university, and now Ohio State is not a domestic violence university. But question, and you're allowed to, and you should question the decision making when stuff happens. Okay. Um, just because there's a human element to it and let's face it we have no idea there, there could be stuff out there that's going to come to the surface about Michigan um, and somebody at the University of Michigan um, hopefully not but I'm getting real nervous because it's everyone around us is having issues pop up um, you know you hope that that nothing happens here at Michigan but if something were to come out you would like to see the university handle it and deal with it and and um, act accordingly. Um, some people may not do that, and that's disappointing. And you'd like to give Urban Meyer the benefit of the doubt and say that you know maybe he is telling the truth and this and that. But to just flat out lie about something, um, to just to cover it up and kind of save your own, you know what? I, I don't know. That's uh, that's a little concerning. Um, and compound that with the people calling his, you know, morals and question his decision making going back to Florida and some of the players he's had on his uh, rosters. So we'll see where this goes. But that's my uh, fourth thing about uh, Michigan State. Don't bring the Larry Nasser thing uh, directly as a as a cut down on Michigan State fans. Um, that's real life. It's there's other human connections dealing with that. Um, we're we're trying to stick to sports. Okay, do that. Stick to sports. Um, and then it also goes into my... I usually save it for the end of the show, but I'm going to do it right there. That's my... Zelly's take of the show is some of the real-life um, issues come into play and how different universities handle that. So that's the stuff you can question, um, what they do about certain things. So we'll see what happens. Oh, I do want to... Oh, the other thing about Michigan State here, um, you know, this whole Urban Meyer news coming out sort of shook me from it, but there was another issue at Michigan State, which, um, you know, uh, I think you can sort of, you know, 
jab at Michigan State fans about, but there was a, back in June, the discovery of a uh, a physicist at Michigan State, I guess, was uh, having sex with his dog a couple times. He, uh, quote, uh, penetrated his dog um, multiple times. That's something that may be okay. Uh, yeah, the, all right. Maybe you can <laughs> poke fun about that because I don't believe any humans were were hurt in that, and that's a um, a far different thing going on there. Uh, and you know, I, I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, good luck with that. Just Michigan State, be careful about any dog postings and things like that. Um, anywho. Uh, let's, let's close it out. Our uh, fifth and final thing for all the teams that I go over, it's usually some sort of little prediction. Again, it is August 1st. These are predictions. Lots can change. But uh, this game kind of feels like a toss-up just because it's a rivalry game. Their hatred for Michigan um, is very strong. They have a lot of, of returning players who are familiar with this rivalry. Um, they're bringing back the linebacker who's a racist, uh, but I guess the the players want him back, so I guess that makes it okay. And um, and it is. I mean, he's a young kid, and he's made mistakes. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the kid shouldn't play um, because he is young, and you just do and say stupid things when you're a youngster. Um, but the team wants him back, and from what I understand, he's 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 got to play this year uh, on his own dime. He lost his scholarship. You know, he's he's lost um, obviously some respect, but uh, the team does want him to play so you'd like to hope hopefully he can get his uh mind frame and mindset uh in the right direction and he doesn't get penalized too much more for this but he's but he was good that's my whole point is he's a good player um and he's back um so because of that it's it feels like a toss-up and you never know in a toss-up rivalry game um the edge usually goes to the home team um i however think that you know in trying to keep real and trying to, um, you know, keep the expectations realistic, I just, I am telling you, this it just feels like a different year. 2018, I think, is going to be something special, and I think things are going to get turned around. I think we have, um, we have things in the right, we have people, we have the right people in the right places, we have the right mindset, um... I really think, ironically, going back to my content of the week and, and the whole spate thing, talking about what Harbaugh said about chicken, which I don't remember if I mentioned, but you know, the Michigan training staff does in fact serve chicken. Okay, the players do eat chicken. I did hear that confirmed. So <laughs> let's not let's not go crazy like there's a ban on chicken in Ann Arbor. Um, again, it was a funny, playful story that just blew into something ridiculous. Anyway. Um, you know, I, it just feels different. You know, Harbaugh has not done any. You know, of course, this whole thing came out with, and you know, his um, what else? The other uh, him saying that you shouldn't eat chicken because it's a nervous bird, and his thoughts on there should be eight teams in the playoff. That was the biggest news from Jim Harbaugh this off season. Okay. That, to me, says there's a little bit of a different mindset there. You know, you felt like in the years prior that he was big into making a splash and doing things and, you know, um, I don't want to call it making a scene, but being more in the forefront of the uh, public. And you just feel like he's sort of hunkered down this year and he's done a lot of reflection. 
a lot of the players have said, you know, especially Winovich, Higdon, and, and Kennel at media days, they they have talked about how this is just a different feel and things are different. The players, um, the players have different attitudes. They have different mindsets. Um, apparently, the as youthful as we were last year, they, they weren't just young, but they were sort of entitled and sort of felt entitled. And I guess that sort of changed. And and the veterans now have have kind of put them in their place. And everybody's on the same page. And they're stronger. They're eating better. Um, you know, chicken included. Um, and just everything seems different. And, of course, Shea Patterson is different. Um, and, again, it's not a guarantee he's going to be Superman, but uh, he should be able to play decent and make some plays. He's got a great head on his shoulders. Seems like a good kid. Um, you know, it goes with the whole theory that Harbaugh has. You know, usually um, good baseball players make good football players, and Shea Patterson, you know, the Rangers signed him, <laughs> and so he's he's definitely a good baseball player. Um, but football's his focus, and he's got a little confidence to him, a little swagger to him, um, and that's going to be good. And we're getting people back in the right spots. It just feels different. It really does. You know, um, I was not again. If I did this podcast last season, I would be honest and say it's going to be a struggle because. It was going to be a struggle. A lot of young people and, and a lot of uh, a lot of question marks and people unproven and and it proved to be that we we struggled in the games we should have struggled against. We should have struggled against Wisconsin. We should have struggled against Penn State. We should have struggled somewhat against Ohio State, even though we had a hell of a game plan put in there and some decent quarterback play gets us that victory. Um, you know, we we had some growing pains and that was going to happen last year. This year, that shouldn't happen, and it just feels different. You know, I'm not inside the program, and I don't know all this for fact and 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 verbatim, and I and I'm not there every day, day in and day out. But it just feels different. It feels like we're gonna have uh, a better head on our shoulders. It feels like we're more in the right direction, um, and I just see a whole lot of success for this team. And unfortunately, I think that L.J. Scott thing is gonna stick with Michigan's players. They they take that sort of stuff personally. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I think uh, it's going to be close. Uh, but decent quarterback play. I believe Michigan goes to East Lansing and does, in fact, win that game. Um, if you go back to last year, something I should have mentioned. Uh, you know, if you think about Michigan's season last year and what games – the quarterback struggled the most and what games the quarterback play was really really bad and what's going to come to mind probably is the Michigan State game and the Ohio State game um, like really quick those two games will be the first first in your mind that you think you know what we had some struggles we had some issues um, well I got some numbers on that last year the Michigan State game John O'Corner's QBR rating was 17.0 and he had three interceptions Again, driving rainstorm, we put him in some bad positions. Not exactly a game and atmosphere where the quarterback's going to shine. Um, in fact, Brian Lewerke, who is a heck of a quarterback himself for Michigan State, he struck, yeah, 28 uh, QBR um, in that game as well. So it wasn't exactly a game where the quarterback should have played out of his mind, and of course that didn't happen. The next game, Ohio State, O'Corn had a 14.3 QBR against Ohio State. That's not good, okay? That could directly lead to why we lost the game. 
uh, go to some other games against South Carolina. Peters, you know, that was not a good showing for, for Brandon Peters, and his QBR was 11.8. That shows it right there. That was not good at all. Wisconsin, before Peters, before we sent him to the hospital, um, he had a 12.2 rating. Even though I think that should have been better because, as I said before, Donovan Peoples-Jones had his foot down. That was a touchdown pass. But, nonetheless, um, 12.2. And then when O'Korn came in that game, John O'Korn had a 2.6 QBR. So, that's the struggle. That That's the story of this year. I'll say it day in, day out, every day, every hour, every minute. That's the story of Michigan's success this year. If the quarterback plays decent, we're going to win a lot of football games. Easy as that. So, all right. I've already given my take of the week. Um, so, we're just going to end it today with the games around college football that stand out. And again, that stand out on August 1st. Today is August 1st. This list is going to change because, as happens every year, there are teams that are not thought to be that great that end up being good and will be undefeated at this point. There are teams that are supposed to be good who are not as great and maybe dropped a game. They got upset. They got, um, you know, they've had some issues. So this list is going to change, you know, depending on how teams function. But as of right now, there are a few games, not as many as September. Felt like September had a ton of games that stood out. Um, But October's got some good ones, got some great, great matchups and a lot of a lot of Big Ten deciding matchups as well. We'll start October 6th. Uh, In the Big Ten, the biggest one to me, you know, I'm not going to talk about Michigan games. We've already talked about those. But the biggest one to me on October 6th is Nebraska at Wisconsin. I think for the next few years and the foreseeable future, this is going to be the marquee game that decides the winner of the West. So, this will be year one of Scott Frost being on the Nebraska sideline against Paul Christ. So, we'll see how that goes. Should be a good one. Uh, the other one in the Big Ten that's that's big, I think, is Northwestern. Travels to East Lansing. Takes on Michigan State. So, that should be a, a good one. Just because of... I didn't see this game last year, but I just happened to the other day. It was replaying on uh, the Big Ten Network and... Wow, what a game. Uh, Northwestern Michigan State last year was a heck of a ball game uh, that Northwestern was able to pull out at the end in overtime. Um, Really, really good game. Got to think it'll happen again this year, and both of those two teams should be in play for their respective divisions. So those will be good ones. Uh, In the SEC, Auburn at Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State, I don't know much about Mississippi State other than they gave Alabama a heck of a run last year, and from what everybody says, they have a very talented roster. Uh, and Joe Moorhead coming in, who you know was of Penn State fame and and had that Penn State offense rolling last year. Uh, supposedly Mississippi State could do some things this year, so you know looking forward to that. See how that goes. Auburn, you know that they should be up there in the West as well. So that should be a good game. Uh, over to the ACC, uh, Notre Dame at Virginia Tech. Um, at Virginia Tech, I put that on there just because, you know, Notre Dame's going to have been an opponent of ours. After we play them, you know, we want them to win. You know, it makes us look better. So you'd like to see them win in Blacksburg. Really, really, really disappointed that we got rid of the home-and-home home with Virginia Tech. I was so 
looking forward to a trip to Blacksburg. It is easily one of the top five things I want to see in college football. Um, you know, a night game at LSU, a game at Oregon, you know, things like that. I, those are things I want to see. A whiteout at Penn State. One of the other things, though, is enter Sandman in Blacksburg, you know, when Virginia Tech hits the field. I, I would love to see that in person um, at nighttime. And you got you you would think that that would have been a primetime game when it when it happens, um, you know it was going to be the 20 year anniversary of 9/11, so you know there was going to be some cool things taking place there. Um, I don't know. I just I hate it that we dropped that that home and home. I was looking forward to that. You know, hopefully sometime in the future at some point we can you know reignite it and hopefully set it up again. But I don't know. Um, Really disappointed about that. Uh, another game on October 6th is Florida State at Miami. You know, who didn't love those Florida State-Miami games in the 90s and the, you know, 2000s? You know, those were always good games, always pivotal games. Miami's, quote, back, you'd like to think. You know, Florida State should be decent. You know, even though they got a new coach coming in, they still are Florida State and they still have talent. You know, if he can just keep everything together and, and – you know, use the tools he's got. It's, you know, Cam Akers, great running back, probably, you know, going to be one of the Heisman favorites, you've got to think. You know, if he keeps it rolling, it should be a wonderful game, should be a pivotal game uh, in the ACC. And then the last one is uh, the Red River, the Red River rivalry. The uh, Texas v. Oklahoma uh, should be a key game for the Big 12 and, you know, see if Tom Herman is back and, and has Texas back, that is, and uh, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, October 13th, um, we have not as many uh, huge games, but in the Big Ten, uh, Michigan State travels to Happy Valley. That's going to be another big one for them. They're going to have to, uh, you know, br bring their A game for that one. Um, you know, like I said, this is October 13th. This is when we play Wisconsin. So this is probably, uh, you could argue this is the best, you know, uh, Big Ten slate of the season is on October 13th uh, because Michigan State is at Penn State, Nebraska is at Northwestern, and of course Wisconsin's coming to Ann Arbor. So a lot of big teams playing a lot of big games that could be pivotal in you know deciding you know the end of the year championships and, and divisions and things like that. Uh, in the SEC, Georgia at LSU should be fun, always fun. Uh, Georgia does not have a difficult schedule at all. So you'd like to think it may be a trip to Baton Rouge, you know, or Les Baton Rouge uh, would be a uh, possible tripping point, a possible hiccup, you know. Coach O, maybe he'll have the boys fired up. It'd be a night game there at LSU. That's another one of my top five things I want to experience. Uh, and then Washington at Oregon. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued by Oregon. You know, they just sort of were year in and year out there at the end of the year. And then just like all of a sudden, it just fell off the face of the earth and just felt like you didn't hear about them at all um so i'd like to see them get back i mean who doesn't love seeing that you know that was the <laughs> now i think that became a, a ongoing segment on college game day was what what are the ducks wearing today um which was always cool they, they always had good uniforms and always had pretty intriguing uniforms and you always enjoyed that you'd like to see them have a lot of success so we'll see how that goes um moving on to october 20th Probably the lightest uh, day of the year. You know, thankfully we have our Michigan State rivalry game, so that'll that'll be an all-day event. Uh, but uh, around the landscape of college football, there's not a whole lot going on. In fact, I only 
There's only one that really caught my attention on Saturday, and that's Oklahoma at TCU, just because that could be it could play a role in the Big Twelve, you know, and who's gonna who's gonna win that? It could set up a rematch for the end of the year, you know. Remember, that's how the Big Twelve does their championship now, is they just take the best two teams uh, after the regular season, and you got to think Oklahoma is going to be one of them. The question is, is TCU or Texas or West Virginia going to be the other one? So that should be a huge game there. Uh, the only other one from that weekend was actually Thursday night. And it's not, I don't even know if it'll be a good game, but it's kind of an intriguing game. It's Herm Edwards has the national stage and Stanford coming to town. And how big would that be for the Herm Edwards era at Arizona State is if on that Thursday night, Stanford can come to town and they can knock them off. That would be incredible. Will it happen? I don't know. Could be a 40-point blowout. I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea how Herm Edwards is going to do. Um, you know, he does the Under Armour uh, All-American games, or he had done it the last few years, and he seemed to get you know get along well with college kids and have good rapport with them. So you'd like to think that he's going to do that at Arizona State as well. Uh, there's a lot going on out in Arizona State, apparently. A lot of uh, fun times. It's definitely somewhere a college kid wants to go. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But that was it for October 20th. Not not a whole lot. You know, it's it's big enough already because we're playing Michigan State that weekend. Uh, October 27th is the only weekend of the season without Michigan football. It is our bye week leading into November when Penn State comes to town. Um, so Michigan will not be playing on October 27th. So you got to find games that will keep you... Uh, held over the entire day. Uh, you probably, arguably, have the biggest one out of the ACC, uh, Clemson at, at Florida State. You know, um, the fact that it's at Florida State could maybe help them maybe win that game. I don't think so. I think Clemson's way too talented. Um, so we'll see. Still should be a, hopefully a good game. Probably going to be a primetime game. Uh, big one in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin at Northwestern. So October is really a, a round-robin month for the West in regards to Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Northwestern. They all play each other uh, through the month of October. So it'll be interesting once October's done to see where those teams stack up and where everybody's left afterwards. You know, does Nebraska lose both of those big games? Does Wisconsin lose both? You know, you never know. You know, does Northwestern win both of those? You have no idea, but it'd be interesting to know. Um Northwestern has both of them at home, and you never know. When Northwestern's at home, it's a small little stadium there, Ryan Field, um, but it, they they perform miracles there, and every now and then they pull off big games and, and sometimes hold on for the upsets. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, the cocktail party, uh, Florida at Georgia. I you know had the luxury of going to college um, in St. Augustine, Florida, which is just south of Jacksonville, where this game is always held, and uh, went one year just to tailgate at the Florida-Georgia game, and it was uh, phenomenal. Um, you know, a lot going on there, and uh, a lot of a lot of cool things, a lot of uh, football-related things. I ended up, um, <laughs> we ended up watching uh, one of the people in the lot had set up like a huge 70 80 inch tv and we ended up watching game day and, and all that there and hanging out with some with some people um i remember i don't some old dudes uh just kept talking trash to each other florida and georgia fans just um i don't know if they were brothers or whatever but they just kept hammering each other about it was fun time fun time um and the games are usually pretty fun and you know that'll be something that hopefully 
uh, Florida can get things rolling with, you know, Dan Mullen there and, you know, challenge Georgia because this is another one of those divisions around college football that you just fear is going to be a one-horse race for a long time. And the SEC East kind of has that feeling. If Kirby Smart keeps doing what he's doing and the schedules that they have, Georgia's going to win that division for a long time unless somebody steps up to the plate and does something about it. A lot of new coaches in the East, um, you know, with Dan Mullen and Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, you know, must champ at South Carolina. You hopefully like to see them, you know, make take the next step and, and do some things. You know, maybe beating us in the bowl game last year will be huge for their confidence moving forward and, you know, I don't know, but it's Georgia's one of those teams that just feels like they have got a lock on their division for a long time. You know, the winner of the Clemson Florida, you feel like Clemson Florida State is a two horse race. You know, you feel like uh, Wisconsin is a one horse race in the West. So you'd like to see these other teams get up and, and play well and and sort of change the narrative a little bit in some of these rivalries and some of these divisions. So hopefully Florida can bring it and and provide a good game against Georgia. Uh, then the final one that I thought was interesting is not really, I don't know how good it'll be. Um, doesn't really have any national ramifications. Maybe, you know, unless Notre Dame is, is really playing well at this point. But uh, it's Navy and Notre Dame. And they're playing in San Diego, which is kind of cool. Out near the uh, naval bases out there. Um, that should be a good one. Uh, Notre Dame kind of, not America's team, but they do this, it seems, every year. They have a game or two that they play at a neutral site. Um, that sort of, you know, it doesn't necessarily favor uh, the other team, but there's some significance to the other team and where they're playing, you know. So this is their game this year to do that, to play Navy in San Diego. Should be fun, should be cool. Um, Navy's always an interesting team to watch um, with that option offense that they run and, and sort of the way they handle themselves. So hopefully should be a good game, but that's really it. You know, October, you know, as a Michigan fan, Again, there's only three games in the entire month, but there's some big ones. You know, uh, do, do not, please, please, please do not overlook Maryland in that first week. I'm telling you, uh, I have a funny feeling about that game. I have a funny feeling about Maryland showing up, and if Maryland stays healthy, they're going to do some things this year and shock some people. Um, again, have to stay healthy, but if they do that, that's going to be tricky. Wisconsin's always tricky, and Michigan State's always tricky. And then we take that last week off before heading into um, uh, the Penn State game. So October's a uh, interesting month, especially coming off of five games. We have five games in September and only three in October before our last four in November. So it's interesting. Should be a uh, tricky month. Should be a fun month. Hopefully, if we have the the offense in the pointed in the right direction, hopefully it should be a successful month. And with any luck, with any luck, and it might take some luck because we do have a tough schedule. With any luck, we'll be eight and zero heading to that Penn State game, which would be enormous for the program moving forward, um, and would definitely have people thinking about Michigan on a different level and would be great for these kids as they move forward with all their confidence. All right, that is it. We're going to wrap it up. I gave my take of the show earlier. I would usually end the show with that, but like I said, gave it earlier with all the issues surrounding college football and things that are happening. Um, 
So I'm not going to end the show with that. I'm just going to leave you with uh, the next episode. We will Our next episode will be to break down the November opponents and any news coming out of camp because by the time I record episode four, camp will have started and the boys are back. Um, apparently they've been back though uh, from what players are saying and have hinted at. They are working their tails off and this new strength and conditioning coach has got them all jacked up kids are gaining weight um and it's muscle weight Uh, i mentioned karan higdon before that dude is jacked uh and he should you know he's primed for something big and you just again it just feels different you know it feels like we're just a sleeping giant you're waiting to waiting to be woken up and um you know hopefully this will be the year that that happens you know we'll see We'll see. All right, that's it, boys and girls. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, Have a great week. Enjoy yourself. And until next time, go blue.